Thank you, Greg, and those that help him lead us in worship. Thank you, Kale, for doing the scripture reading this morning. Sayer asked me, he said, why do you get people that are nervous to do that? And I said, well, your time's coming, young man. You just wait. But it's a good opportunity for us to not only read Scripture out loud, but for us to hear Scripture read out loud. And it's an opportunity for us as uh, people. I mean, we, we should be uh, excited about hearing people read God's Word and sometimes stepping out of what is comfortable to them. And so we appreciate you, Brother Kale. And I look forward to hearing Sayer in the near future uh, do our Scripture reading in... The morning, I want to uh, echo Greg's remarks to the Wilson FFA chapter. We are so privileged and an honor that you all are here this morning, and thank you all for being here. Um, we have been walking through the letter of Ephesians, so if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to join with me in Ephesians chapter 6, and hopefully if you came in, you got a bulletin on the back of that, there'll be some notes. If you want to use those, they'll be above me on the screen and also on the back of that bulletin. If you want to work, uh, just follow along. Sometimes it helps people stay awake. Sometimes it helps people someplace to doodle. Um, sometimes it helps somebody just to have something in front of them. But those notes are in the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along as we just work through this text this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to be starting at verse 21 and going through the rest of the chapter. And really this is the last Sunday that we are in Ephesians chapter 6 together. So this is a passage that sometimes if you were reading it on your own you may skip past it or you may skip beyond it. But I think there's some things that we as a church can not only hear and learn but then apply to our lives today. I don't know how many of you watch professional football, but the NFL team known as the Minnesota Minnesota Vikings has a starting quarterback by the name of Kirk Cousins. If you were to go to Kirk Cousins' house, he has a what some people would consider to be an odd sculpture in the front of his yard. Some people would call it a sculpture. Other people would just call it a big old giant jar. He has a sculpture, a.k.a. giant jar in his front lawn. And in this jar, um, originally it had 720 stones. The reason for this was that Kirk Cousins, when he had it commissioned and had it installed, figured he lived about 90 years old, and so he had one stone for every single month that he planned to live put into this jar. And then what he does is the beginning of every single month, he goes to that jar out in his front yard, pulls out a stone, and he carries that stone in his pocket for the entire month. And he does this, according to his report, was once this month is over, it's gone. Once it is gone, it is gone for good. You cannot get it back. So every single month, he takes a stone out of the jar, carries the stone in his pocket as a reminder all month long that when this month is over, it is gone. You are not getting this time back. Then at the end of the month, he discards the stone, takes another stone out. So every single day when he comes out of his house or people come in, they can see how many stones are there and how much empty space is there. The idea, according to Kirk Cousins, came from a Bible teacher in his childhood. The Bible teacher was remarking on Psalm 90 verse 12 where it says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And according to the interview, Cousins said this. He said, quote, It's about the importance of leaving a mark and making a deposit in the people's lives in a way that matters. In other words, an understanding that life is coming to an end someday and we only have so many days. There's something to be said about a people that live their life knowing that their time is coming short. I remember my days as a senior in high school thinking I can't wait to get out of high school. And now I spend days wishing I could go back to 
high school. There are some days that I remember as soon as my the school let out of my junior year at high school, I thought, well, now I'm an official senior, and I think this will never, ever, this year will never, ever end. And then time goes by, and the next thing you know, I'm 20 years out of high school, and I think, how, far, how fast has ta- time gone by? The old adage that you blink and you miss it is true. And so Paul comes in at the last part of this letter and he talks to the reader. He talks to the listener. He talks to the believer about how it is that we leave a mark with our lives. And and I put the top of your notes that it's not just a matter of living because everybody lives a life. But living a life and leaving a mark are not the same thing. So in this morning, as you follow along in these several passages, these several verses that we're going to look at, what I want to point you to is that Paul is going to demonstrate for us in the way that he writes and the way that he ends this 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 uh, this letter as he concludes this letter he's going to demonstrate for us two ways primarily that we can leave a mark with our lives he's going to demonstrate for us and how it is that we leave a mark now I'm going to tell you at the very beginning and this might mess mark up on the screen but there's the two ways that he's going to show us and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at this first way he does it is what others say about you and then he's going to explain to us what you say about others just so you have some markers to know where we're going that is where we're headed so he's going to start off here in in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21 and he's going to start demonstrating for us that the way that we can leave a mark in this world is by what others say about you I want you to notice with me in chapter 6 and verse 21. Notice what the Word of God says. I'm going to pick it up. Starting in verse 21, and Paul writes, and he says, So that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. So as he brings this conclusion, he is saying, So in order for you to know what's going on, what is up with me, what is the latest and greatest, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Snapchat, there wasn't anything he could upload, there wasn't an email, there wasn't a video chat. Everything was done by a personal query. Everything was done by letter. Everything was done by human-to-human interaction. Paul says, in order for you to have an update on what's going on with me and for you to know what's happening in my world, I am sending this man, Tychicus. Now, Tychicus is only mentioned five times in Scripture. In fact, Paul is the only one that writes about this man. We don't know the age of this man. We don't know the condition of this man. Tychicus is written. He, he is mentioned in Acts, Colossians, 2 Timothy, Titus, and here in Ephesians. And he's written by Paul as a, as a companion of Paul, if you will. And so what Paul says here in verse 21, so, <coughs> excuse me, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and then he may encourage your hearts. The Bible commentaries will tell us that what Paul is doing right here in these couple of sentences is is that he is introducing Tychicus to the church there in Ephesus. They had no idea who he was. This man is just going to show up one day and he's going to say, I have a letter from Paul. And they're going to go, well, how do we know it's real? How do we know it's not a fake? And and they're going to say, how do we know we won't listen to you? Or I have stories to tell you. How do we know who this guy is? And so they read the story and Paul is making this introduction, if you will, about his brother Tychicus. But there are some things that I want you to notice and just those two verses that Paul says about Tychicus, which I think should relate to what other people should be saying about you and I today in this world. 
Notice if you go back up to the verse 21, he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother. Now, beloved is just taking two words together. Just the idea, it's a, it's a conjoining of two words to just say that you should be loved. It's the idea that you should have the kind of personality, you should have the kind of attitude that people have affection towards you. People have devotion towards you. People like you. You are loved by many, many, many people. It's not one of those things that you're despised, that you're looked down upon, that you're judged. He is saying he is a beloved brother. But notice the word there between Tychicus and beloved. Here in my translation, it says thee. It's an article. It's not denoting possession. So he said, he doesn't say my beloved brother. He doesn't say your beloved brother. He is saying the beloved brother. In other words, what Paul is, is reminding us is this guy, he's not just loved by me as in a friendship type of way. This guy is loved by everybody in the church. By everybody that comes in contact with him, he is loved by those people. We are living in a day and age when we are continually being polarized from one another. And we are continually being divided amongst one another. Charles and I will joke a lot of times about OU and OSU and we have our rivalries. But you know what Satan would love to do? He would love to elevate to the point that we can't have any kind of brotherhood fellowship because we are divided by a sports team. And what Paul is saying is that this attitude, this, this personality of Tychicus, it doesn't, it isn't divided. It isn't broken up. And yet so many times in this world, we can get so polarized and we can get so entrenched in our personal gifts, we forget there's a lot of things in this world that won't be in heaven. And we can get fixated and we can get concentrated on the things that will only be in this world and will not be eternal. So Paul says, I want you to know, this is what I want to tell you about Tychicus. He is loved by many. Not just that he's loved by many, but you continue on there in the text in verse 21 and he says, and faithful minister. He's telling them that he was faithful in the service in which Paul had entrusted to him. So you can imagine somebody, when they discuss about you, or when they talk about you, or they remember you, they eulogize you. How do they speak about you? Do they talk about how many people loved you? Do they talk about how you were faithful in your service what do they say about you as I already mentioned Tychicus is mentioned five different times in the scripture and yet in all five instances it never says how old he was what kind of children was he married was he not how many children did or did he not have what kind of profession did he have It never says where he graduated high school. It doesn't talk about his athletic statistic. It doesn't talk about how many possessions he has. It doesn't talk about his academic achievements. It doesn't talk about his pictures and his vacations. All that it ever talks about Tychicus is his service to the Lord. In other words, Paul is saying that not only is he beloved brother by the people around him, but he's faithful to the Lord. And you cannot try to talk about Tychicus without talking about his service to Jesus Christ. And I wonder, is your life explainable without Jesus. As Paul is talking about Tychicus, he can't talk about who Tychicus is without talking about Jesus. And yet, how many people did we have living today that you can explain who they are, what they are, and you can explain their lives, and you can never mention the name of Jesus Christ? How many times do we come to eulogies, obituaries that are printed in the paper, eulogies in a memorial service and they will describe a person his accomplishments and his family and the people that he had around him the the loved ones and, and what he did with this life but how often do they talk about him in the realm of what he did for 
Christ. And so as Paul is describing this man, Tychicus, and what others say about you, he is talking about him in, his, uh, in the way that people held him in affection, in his service to the kingdom of God, the fact that you can't explain who he is without talking about Jesus. But notice he says there in verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. What is the purpose, Paul? So that you may know how we are and then he may encourage your hearts. Encouragement is a fading work. You can find a criticizer any day of the week. You can find somebody to be critical all the time. You can always find somebody to tell you what you're not doing. But the way that Tychicus is remembered by Paul is he was known more for his encouragement than his criticism. And I think the same thing should be true about you and I in the church today. I was uh, attending, when I attended seminary down there in Texas, and there was always a controversy brewing. There was always some type of attack from Satan trying to uh, tear down that institution of learning. And I remember with a professor one day, and he was just discouraged because he said, he, seemed, he said, it seems like every attack comes, and the seminary or the church responds to it. And he said, but the problem is, is that the society, the community, the people around you know more about what you're against than what you are for. And he says, I think that's completely opposite. I think what people should know us for, not only in the academic institution of the seminary, but also in the church today, people should know the church for what we're for, not so much for what we're against. Now some of you may have to process on that. Some of you may have to think about that. But there's a great difference for being known for what you are for than what you are against. And the professor was making the statement. He said, Spence, when you get into the local church, make sure that the community, yes, there are going to be things that you're not going to be for. Yes, there's going to be things that you are going to be against. But let people know what you are for more so than what you are against. And yet we're living in a day and age that everybody is quick to say, I'm against this. I'm against that. I'm against everything. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm against it. We are in a a season right now where those gas prices are going up. People don't care about spending $14 at Netflix. But boy, I'm telling you, an extra quarter at the gas pump and it has them just wiped out. They'll spend $200 for cable television so they can sit there and watch QVC at 2 a.m. in the morning. But by gosh, I got to spend an extra nickel and I'm... And I know people that will drive 30 miles to save two cents on gas. And it just, it doesn't compute to me, but people will have that attitude. But, but, but it's one of those things that we're coming into that season and you have different types of people. Somebody will say, oh, the price of gas is going up again. Bah, humbug. I don't like paying anymore either. <laughs> but you know, it's all in relation, Right? Do you want a good economy? Do you want jobs? Do you want those things taking place? Are you for people providing a, fam- a living for their family? Or is it one of those things that it's just, I'm always criticizing or I'm always critical? Are you for being able to have a vehicle and drive your vehicle down the road and being able to drive wherever you want, whenever you want? Are you for having the uh, mobility and the freedom to be able to take whatever route you want to take and to have the money and the resources to put fuel in your vehicle and to provide for your family and to go and enjoy something that you want to go do? Are you for that or is it always negative, negative, negative? In our home when one of us in our home starts to become negative. We just call them Nancy. 
Now, I don't think there's a Nancy in this room this morning. And if you have a Nancy in your life, I'm sure she is a very precious, sweet woman. But in our home, we just use that as a negative Nancy. So one of those boys, they will, they will start going off and we'll just say, well, just calm down, Nancy. It'll, you just get over it. It'll, it'll, it'll get better. But we'll use that because how many times in our daily lives is it just our default position to just be critical? And Paul comes in here in this text and as he is addressing the church, and he is introducing Tychicus, and he's talking about Tychicus. He says, I am sending him to you because I know he is going to encourage your hearts. So I wonder what people say about you. Do people talk about how much they just love your smile and they just love your personality? How much people just love the influence that you have in your life? How, how you're always so sweet and how you're always so uh, understanding and you're such a good listener. Do people talk about how faithful you are to the kingdom work and how faithful you are to your Lord and Savior? Do when people talk about you, they can't help but say, you know what? That person is just sold out to Jesus and you know what? It's just God, 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 God. Are they looking at your life and are they saying that that person encourages me more than he criticizes me? Or do they look and they hang they have something else to say. A mark that you can leave with your life. That's what others say about you. But then there's a second part of this that I want you to see with me and starting in verse 23 and that has what you say to others. So Paul talks about in the first section of this passage about what others say about you but then he also demonstrates there's another way to leave a mark with your life and not just what people say about you but what you say to others around you so as Paul introduces Tychicus and he says this is why I'm sending you this is who he is this is what he's going to do for you and this is why he's coming to you but then Paul comes and he turns his attention back to the church and he says I'm going to give you this farewell if you will but notice how he says goodbye he says in verse 23, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. There's several things that I want to point you to on what it is that he is saying to them. So therefore, what we could be saying to those around us that help us in thinking how it is that we make a mark and the things that we say to other people. Notice in verse 23, he says, Peace be to the brothers. Now, Paul, are you just... Uh, unaware of the conflict of the strife that is going on around do you not understand the seasons and the politics and the society in which they're in do you not understand about the pagan worship do you not understand about the idolatry do you not understand about the all the attacks of satan to trying to uh, hinder and oppose the church and paul would say yes i understand about all of those but what i want to encourage them with is to have peace in the midst of conflict well how do you have peace in the midst of conflict by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's why he says there in the text. He says peace be to the brothers. He doesn't say peace be to the world. He says peace be to the brothers. I realize that in the church world today we think well you know what? How are we all going to get along? And how are we all going to find some type of harmony in this community? I'm going to tell you where it starts. It starts in the church. Too many people have too many stories about disagreements, schisms, fights, all those things, conflicts arising in the church, and you wonder why. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about lawsuits against believers, between, in between believers, and he said, how dare you? I'm going to paraphrase here, but he just says, how dare you? Why not just be wrong to not bring dishonor to the name of Christ? He says, when you start having these divisions, and you start having these unities, you're not being a witness to a watching world. 
And you know how we can show to a watching world the difference that God through Christ and the Holy Spirit has made in us is that when they come in these walls, this is the most peaceful place in Wilston. Not because we're uniformed in our thinking, but because we're united in our Savior. So he says, peace be to the brothers. So in the midst of conflict, in the midst of disagreement, in the midst of warring passions and desires of the flesh, have peace. Have peace and unity in the hearts of the believers. Make sure that a watching church sees a church that is united together, not because of how awesome we are, but because of how great we are, because we're all serving one Savior. You can walk outside these doors and you can find conflict and you can find turmoil and you can find all kinds of people everywhere you go. You get on Facebook. And they even have a page. I'm sure you know all about this, and I've just been dumb all this time. They even got a rant page. Where that whole Facebook group is all just for people to get on and rant. And you could rant. They have different page, uh, group page, groups for different things you want to rant about. So I guess if I want to rant about the weather, I guess there's a Facebook group that I can get on there and just whine and complain and, and throw a fit about the weather. But they have these things. And you can get on there and you can always find somebody with a different point of view, somebody with a critical point of view, somebody with a unloving point of view. But Paul is reminding us that when it comes to us in the church today, what we say to other people matters. And we can leave a mark in people's lives by the things that we say. So Paul comes in and says, I want to encourage you to have peace among the brethren. And then he goes on there in verse 23. He says, peace be to the brothers and love and love with faith. Love with faith in God is another way you could say it here in the text, but he is saying, not only do I want you to have peace among the church, but I also want you to have love in the church, and not just a love in a personal sense, in a fleshly sense, I want you to have the godly kind of love, which means we're quick to forgive, we're not easily offended, we're quick to overlook, they didn't say hi to me. They had a difference in opinion in me. They said something that was sarcastic to me. And yet our love is the love that God has for us. And despite our misgivings and despite our failures and despite all the things that we mess up and all the times that we say, God, we're going to do this and then we don't do what we say we're going to do or we say, God, I won't ever do this and then we do it again or all the times that we say, God, or we're going to make all these promises. We don't keep our promises. He is saying with the kind of love that God loves us, we should have that kind of love for other people. And yet so many times in this world today, our love is dependent upon somebody's performance or somebody's actions. Our love is dependent upon our opinions or our flesh or our attitudes and our love is not dependent upon God. And so he says, what do you say to others? Do you have that kind of uh, speech that is, that, that is, that is Christian and that, that, that is filled with the love of God in your hearts? And what you say to other people can either encourage them or discourage them. And what you say to other people can either show them love or show them anger. Your words matter. All of our words matter. I was leading a project some years ago, and I didn't want to lead the project. I didn't have a choice. That or have a job. So I'm leading this project, and I'm dealing with an inspector, and I'm dealing with an engineering firm. 
And I'm dealing with a customer and none of the three of them had done their job. And so they just dump into my lap and say, you figure it out and you make it work. So here I am trying to communicate, trying to figure out these logistics. And I don't know if you probably don't see this in me, but I can be pretty sharp. So I'd be putting these emails together, just making it very clear, you're not doing your job. And I would, I would say it with a smile, and I'd even put a period on it, and I wouldn't even put an emoji face with it. I would just say, you're not doing your job, and I can't do my job until you do your job. And, and, and those, those things, that engineer and that inspector and that customer, they wouldn't come to me and say, well, I thought that was rude because they didn't have the guts to do that. So they'd go to my boss and say, you need to tone him down. You need to calm him down. And he came to me one time and he said, Spence, the pen is often sharper than the sword. It was a nice way of him telling me to chill out. (laughs) But you know, it stuck with me about the pen being sharper than the sword because so many times we forget the power that our words have to impact those we are speaking to. And so Paul says, I want you to have peace. I want you to have love. How do we have this peace and love? Well, notice that he says there in the middle part of verse 23, from God the Father. He's reminding that these gifts, these abilities, this, 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 this desire and this, uh, this way you can accomplish it, it's only from the power of God. And then he goes on in verse 24 and he says, grace be with all. And I think that's a great thing for you and I to remind ourselves about that grace is for every single person. Grace is not just for those that you like. Grace is not just for those that agree with you. Grace is not for just those that happen to look like you, talk like you, be like you. Grace to all people. I heard a preacher one time said that he always wants to err on the side of grace. I realize that there is such a thing as right and wrong. I realize there is truth and error. And I realize that we as a church today should not compromise the word of God. We should not corrupt the word of God. And we should not be willing to back up to try to please someone's heart to the disgrace and to the disglory of God. I get all that. Sometimes we can be tempted to lean on the side of legalism instead of on the side of grace. There's there's sometimes that we could be tempted to pick up our sword and say that isn't right and we charge and we uh, we stop short of being graceful and trying to listen and understand what that person is trying to say. Sometimes we assume motives or sometimes we assume what they meant by what they said. Sometimes we make all kinds of inferences and implications without ever really understanding the heart of that person. And so Paul reminds them that when it comes to what he says about other people, he wants to encourage them to have peace. He wants them to encourage to have love. He wants to tell them that all these things are the power of God. He wants to encourage them to have grace, grace with those they come in contact with. And in the last part of that verse, he says, with love in corruptible. This idea that you cannot compromise it. You cannot tarnish it. You cannot destroy it. You cannot tear it apart. You cannot minimize it. You cannot do anything to malign it. It is a love that is incorruptible because Paul knows, as he will say in his other writings, that this is what holds the people of God together. God's love for us and our love for him that is demonstrated in our love for other people. That's the secret secret of how we live a faithful Christian life. That's the secret of how we live a life that is set apart for him. That is the secret of how we live a life that is unexplainable apart from Jesus Christ. That is the secret of how it is that we advance and we grow in our Christian faith. That is the secret of how you and I advance the kingdom of God to a lost watching world. It is through our love, God's love for us, our love for God, demonstrated in our love for other people. That's how this thing works. 
It's not through a new methodology. It's not through more bodies and more budgets. It's through God's love demonstrated in our love for other people. And we get hung up on that. Because that's not easy. And that's not comfortable. And that's quite often requires us to get dirty. And us to sacrifice. And us to give when we don't feel like giving. Paul comes in and he says there's two ways to leave a mark with your life. Number one is what others say about you. And number two, what you say to other people. So it begs the question about what you and I are saying to those around us. Do they hear us talk about more me? Or do they hear me talk more about God? What do they hear us talking about? Because what we say to others has a difference and makes a difference in the life or the mark that we leave for others. So you may ask yourself, what am I saying to others around me? How do we know if we're growing in our faith? We've been asking this question all through this letter. How do we know if we're growing? How how do we measure to know if we're growing? I I put three statements down there in your notes, just three statements to uh, put in your mind to to ask you to just think about, to just just consider on in the days ahead. And the first statement is this. Be remembered more for your deposits than your withdrawals. Be remembered more for your deposits than your withdrawals. Every single part of life is about deposits and withdrawals. Pastoral leadership is about deposits and withdrawals. Teaching, I assume, not to know, but I'm assuming, teaching, being an advisor in an FFA organization is about deposits and withdrawals. You invest in their lives so that you can then withdraw devotion or commitment or service. You can get buy-in, pastoral ministry, being a boss at a workplace is the same thing. It's deposits and withdrawals. You are investing, you're getting buy-in, you're getting respect, you're getting trust, you're getting uh, to earn that right to lead and to love and so that way you can withdraw when the time comes and you say, I need your help with this or I need you to follow with me in this or I need you to go do this. It's all about deposits and withdrawals. But every single one of us in this room, I suspect maybe apart from Micah, most of us in this room know that there are people in your lives that make more withdrawals than deposits. Let us be the kind of people that are marked by making more deposits than withdrawals. Another thing that I would encourage you to think about as we think about the mark that we're leaving in this life. Ensure your words, your actions, and your witness all tell the same story. Ensure your words, your actions, and your witness all tell the same story story. It's not just enough to come in here on a Sunday morning and do the right thing, to look the right thing, to say the right thing. That is great. That is good. But there are more lost people outside these walls that need to see your witness than inside these walls. And when you come in and you put on the show and you put on the face and you come in and you dance the dance, you dance the jerk, that's not advancing the kingdom of God. Let them see. Let them hear. Let them see our witness and let it be the same story. And then this last one. Live a life marked by eternity. Kirk Cousins goes out every single month and he gets a stone. And he puts that stone in his pocket and he carries that stone around as a reminder that this time is passing away. Let us live a life marked by eternity.
I don't know how many are familiar with the name Erwin Milton Tiffany. He was born on August 26th of 1883 in Linden, Kansas. Not a whole lot is known about him through his younger days, but he, as he was growing up in his adulthood, he had several occupations. He was a, a lumberjack. He was a high school principal. But then most notably, and what we would know him for today, is that he was an agricultural education teacher at the University of Wisconsin back in the 1920s, way back in Ron's time. Back there... As he's teaching agricultural education there at the University of Wisconsin, he, he comes to realize this organization that has been started in the school system called the Future Farmers of America. We now just shorten it to FFA. But in 1928, seeing this organization, seeing a need, he said, I'm going to sit down and I am going to write a creed. I am going to write a creed for this organization that they can use as a basis and a foundation of who they are and what they're doing. So in 1928, he sat down, he wrote the FFF. FFA Creed. It was adopted in 1930. There's been a couple revisions, just two small revisions since then, but ever since the adoption in 1930, that has been the creed for the FFA. There was a story on the 85th anniversary of the creed being adopted in 19, or in 2014, there was a story that ran in the High Plains Journal. And the writer of the story quoted E.M. Tiffany by, and, and by quoted him, and this is what he was quoted as saying, he thought those students and those teachers in that organization deserved a creed that would share what their hopes were for the future of agriculture and what their dreams were. The writer of the article goes on to say that he, and this is what he said, quote, I think someone with that ability to see into the future what our needs would be, I think someone with that type of vision needs to be honored and recognized. I don't know how it is today, but I do know in the mid-90s there was a competition that would be had with the freshmen that reciting the FFA Creed. You would have to memorize the FFA Creed and then they have a competition. There may be 20 people and they would all compete on who could say it the, the, the best, if you will. It's five different paragraphs to the FFA Creed and every single paragraph begins with the same two words. I believe. Every single paragraph, the first paragraph begins like this. I believe in the future of agriculture with a faith born not of words but of deeds. And then he goes on. In every single paragraph he describes about his hope for agriculture, his faith in agriculture, and what he wants this organization to believe and to pursue in their pursuits of agriculture. This is how he writes the last paragraph. He says, I believe that American agriculture can and will hold true to the best traditions of our national life and that I can exert an influence in my home and community which will stand solid for my part in that inspiring task. Well, that's the way E.M. Tiffany would frame his creed that has carried this organization for years and years and years. He died. E.M. Tiffany died. He, he died not too long ago. Uh, actually back in 1949. He died there in Wisconsin. Buried there in Linden, Kansas. But yet even still today. When you have freshmen coming into the FFA program. Or 8th graders coming into the FFA program. They memorize the FFA creed. And they know that it was authored by E.M. Tiffany. A mark that continues to impact and influence young people. Even still today. But I was thinking as I was looking at this FFA creed again for, it's been a long time. And I thought, wonder what 
Paul may say. And so I'm not going to try to impose or or say this is what Paul says, but I just want to put this in the sense of the, the church today. This is what I think that Paul may write if he had a chance to rewrite this last paragraph of E.M. Tiffany's Creed. He may say something like this. I believe that believers in Jesus Christ can and will hold true to the truthfulness and promises in God's holy word. And that I can exert an influence in my home and community which will stand solid for my part in that inspiring task. In what way do I want to rewrite it? But I do want to remind us here this morning that every single one of us in this room has an opportunity to leave a mark. And leave a mark by what people will say about you or leave a mark by what you will say to other people. I know many of you in this room may say, well, you know what, I'm a nobody. How can I leave a mark? And then you look back on this man's life, Erin Milton Tiffany's life, and you think the mark that he made by just a few words on a paper. You have no way of knowing what kind of life you can leave and what kind of mark you can leave for those around you. You bow your heads with me.